Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the son of the matters. So uh, we have a specific historical reference here. The first year of Belshazzar, which we can identify as 555 BC. The Lord is speaking to Daniel by means of a dream. Daniel is located in Babylon. Daniel writes down the details of the dream. And uh, he reads out these details to a special gathering of hearers. Verse 2. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And so in this uh, reference to the great sea, uh, we have depicted the nations of the earth. They are likened to a turbulent ocean, in much agitation, as the winds flow upon it from opposing directions. Uh, And we have similar imagery in the book of Revelation. The nations of the world are likened to a restless sea. In Revelation 17 and verse 15, the angel tells the Apostle John, The waters which thou sawest are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Uh, Similarly, in the book of Isaiah, Uh, Nations, in all their God-projecting activity, are compared to raging waters. Uh, And so we read in Isaiah 17 and verse 12, Woe to the multitude of many people, which make a noise like the noise of the seas, and to the rushing of nations, that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. Uh, And again, uh, in the book of Isaiah, we have the same imagery. Isaiah 57 and verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Well, we certainly saw in Manchester yesterday a troubled sea casting up mire and dirt. And we had to tell the numerous people present that there is indeed no peace to the wicked unless they repent. Verse 3 And four great beasts came up from the sea 
diverse one from another. Now we know from verse 17 that these four, these four beasts represent four kings. And these kings are depicted as beasts because of their fierce behaviour in conquering other nations and in creating vast empires. Uh, we should, as Bible-believing Christians, be wary of the creation of multinational empires, precisely because of passages in Scripture such as this. These four beasts speak of empires which appear the one after the other. Where do the empires come from? They come from the sea, which, as we have said, is the symbol of this turbulent, restless world. Now, we are told concerning the uh, first beast in verse 4 that it was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now, the lion and eagle uh, reign supreme. Uh, among the animal and bird kingdoms, respectively. Archaeology tells us that winged lions adorned the gates of the Babylonian royal palace, which is referred to by other prophets as both a lion and an eagle. Uh, And so uh, we read of Babylon... In Jeremiah 4 and verse 7, the lion is come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. And so God is bringing up this lion named Babylon as a judgment upon the nation of Israel. We similarly read in Habakkuk 1 and verse 6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans being another term for the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. And so, uh, notice there the reference to the eagle uh, as a way of describing Babylon. With the swiftness of an eagle, Babylon will fall upon its prey. We further read in this verse 4, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now after the conquests uh, made by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, which were made in God's providence as a judgment upon the defeated nations, Uh, Babylon made no further conquests, but would gradually become weaker. Uh, And that is what is signified here in verse 4, 
by the wings of this first beast being plucked. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's successors uh, were less able and less focused leaders than he was. Now, animals walk the earth on all fours, uh, but Babylon would lose its ravaging beast-like qualities. And so it is described here as being lifted up from the earth. So this is an image of a lion being tamed. No longer would it be as a four-footed beast looking down on the earth. But it would be made to stand up upon its hind legs like a man. Now when a lion does that, it loses its strength and threatening aspect. So Babylon's leaders would no longer possess the heart of a lion, but would rather have the heart of a mere man, a man being threatened by mighty lions. And uh, they would become fearful that the Babylonians would lose all their confidence and they would become a timorous nation. And again, we think of our own land today. A land which has no confidence in itself under God, but rather looks to other nations for its security. Well, God says here that Babylon will become full of fear. Uh, and this is well depicted by the last of Babylon's kings, Belshazzar. Uh, he was reduced by the Lord to a trembling wreck as he saw miraculous writing upon the wall of his banqueting room. And this writing denounced the king's wickedness. And so we read in the next chapter, Daniel chapter 5 and verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. So there, back in chapter 5, we see the terror which comes upon the king of Babylon. And uh, these events uh, bring about the downfall of this mighty lion with eagle's wings which Daniel sees in his vision. That is what is being depicted here. The lion which was Babylon is brought down. It was after all the persecutor of God's people. 
And what it is important for us to understand uh, is that Old Testament Babylon is a symbol of all the persecuting powers throughout history which have opposed themselves to the true people of God. The powerful men and governments of this world are usually opposed to the truth of Christ. But we are being taught here that their wings will be plucked and their supremacy will be short-lived. We accordingly read in the book of Revelation uh, not of the historical Babylon but of Babylon as representing the God-rejecting world with all its seductive philosophies drawing men away from Christian truth. Babylon is with us today. It is the God-rejecting, persecuting world all around us. Babylon was having a field day in Manchester yesterday. Now, in Revelation 14 and verse 8, we read this. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so here we learn that this Christ-rejecting world will indeed fall before him who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Just as, and we've got history, there's solid evidence to prove this, just as the historical Babylonian Empire fell during Daniel's lifetime, so the Christ-rejecting world today, which is spiritual Babylon, will fall. Now that was a great encouragement for us as we declared the truth of the gospel yesterday to the hostile crowds. Babylon will fall. Daniel then in his dream sees a second beast. Verse 5. And behold another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side. And it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And so, Daniel's vision now refers to a second beast which would come after Babylon. And this second beast looks like a bear, not a lion. Particular attention is drawn to one side of the beast as opposed to its other side. And so this points us to the two-sided nature of the second empire being referred to here. Namely, the Medo-Persian Empire. Made up of the Medes and the Persians. Two-sided. Now, of these two sides, the Persian side would become the stronger and would become a great conquering force. 
indicated here in verse 5 by uh, its having three fleshly ribs between its teeth. Accordingly, the bear, which was the Persian Empire, would devour the three kingdoms of Babylon, Egypt and Lydia. Uh, Lydia representing modern-day Turkey. And so Daniel sees the angels telling Cyrus of Persia to bring down the Babylonians and other nations as well. And so the Medo-Persian Empire would be God's instrument to bring down the wicked empire of Babylon. And what do we learn from this? We learn that the affairs of nations are in the hands of the sovereign Trinitarian God. And God-rejecting nations are dealt with in time by the Lord. And this is something that we have to make known to our own generation. That the Lord judges nations in time. He will judge all individuals for eternity when the Lord Jesus Christ returns on the final day of judgment. But nations are being judged in time. And that means a nation which is defying God is exposing itself to imminent national judgment. And that is is why it it is so necessary for Bible-believing Christians to be in a place like Manchester yesterday where there is a public repudiation of Christian truth. It is bringing down the judgment of God upon the nation. We read in Proverbs 8 and verse 15, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. So God can use one wicked nation to bring judgment upon another wicked nation. There was nothing particularly godly about the Medo-Persian Empire, that they did not believe in the one true God of Israel. But nevertheless, the Lord used them to bring judgment upon Babylon. And we need to tell our nation today, look, that they are being exposed to judgment in time, possibly very soon, because of all the rebellion against God's word. Psalm 75, verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. And so there the word of God um, is telling us that nations will not prosper because they belong to the east, or they belong to the west. They will prosper because of the providence of God or else they will fail to prosper because of the providence of God. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Promotion or advancement to high office 
is God's ordaining. So rulers will rise or fall as God decrees it. And so we have to tell those around us that nations prosper or fail to prosper only insofar as they are obedient to the commandments of God. And and that is why we can never take the attitude as Bible-believing Christians that, well, the world will always be the world, let them get on with it, we'll just carry on being faithful and obedient, but let the world get on with it and say nothing. And actually, we could have a very quiet life if we just say nothing to the unbelieving world. But our calling is to confront them, or else judgment will come upon the nation. We read here in verse 6, Daniel's dream continues. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And so, Daniel's vision continues with a description of the empire that will replace the Medo-Persian empire. And so he sees this third beast. Now, this third beast is not like a lion or a bear, but it is like a leopard, or perhaps a panther. It has four wings to denote both its ferocity and the speed of its conquests across the four points of the compass. Now when we think of all human history and which empire uh, perhaps carried out the most conquests in the most rapid fashion, we must uh, inevitably think of the Greek empire under Alexander the Great. He brought down the Persians. And in a few years, uh, he set up an empire which was even larger than that of the Babylonians. Uh, Alexander's empire stretched from the Balkans to the river Ganges. Uh, This empire truly was like a ravaging leopard. We read in Jeremiah 5 and verse 6, A leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces. Now what was the, the Lord was saying there in Jeremiah 5, 6, is that if the nation of Judah carries on disobeying God, then it will be exposed to the ravaging power of wild beasts such as leopards. And this Greek empire was such a beast. And we further read of it in verse 6, it had also four heads and dominion was given to it. Now, when Alexander died, uh, his empire was split between four of his generals. And their dominions were respectively Greece, uh, Syria and the East, Egypt and Asia Minor. 
And so these are the four heads which Alexander's empire became. And let us note that this empire, in verse 6, is said to be given dominion. Because again, all these historical events were happening in the providence of God, who can use one wicked nation to bring judgment upon another wicked nation. And and therefore we must wake up today because God could use others to bring judgment upon us. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, It devoured and brake in pieces, stamped the residue of the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And so Daniel's vision continues now with the picture of this fourth beast, which is the most terrifying one of all. And the others were very terrifying. This fourth beast is so dreadful that no earthly beast can be likened to it. It is rather an unnatural monster with iron teeth. This speaks of its purpose utterly to devour all enemies, even exceeding the savagery of the previous three beasts. Now, which empire arose in human history after the Babylonian, Persian and Greek empires? Which empire was even more ferocious than they were? It would, of course, be the Roman Empire. Remember, we have the exact date of this vision. Daniel is currently living through the Babylonian Empire and he's looking forward four or five centuries to the establishment now of the Roman Empire. This empire will not only devour with its mouth, as the second beast did, but it will also trample to dust with its feet. And we're told about this fourth beast that it possesses ten horns. Now horns in the Bible are a symbol of power and authority. And we know that the number ten is thus used to characterise the power of Rome. Uh, Ten is a symbolic round number denoting plurality. Rome will be governed by a plurality of kings, namely the leaders of the various provinces, all under the authority of the Senate. Now, in that way, the Roman Republic would not be a monarchy, like the previous three empires were. Uh, And so uh, this is a a reference to the Roman 
republic that, that they did, of course, subsequently have emperors. But the Roman Republic will be this mighty, devouring beast. So strong will Rome be that it will be as ten or as many kingdoms all rolled into one. Verse 8, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Now, all the horns on this fourth beast are relatively small. Uh, They are not like antlers, for example. Uh, But they are no less powerful for that. They are like the horns of, say, a rhinoceros, denoting great ferocity. So, Daniel, in his vision, sees another ferocious-looking horn arise upon this fourth beast. It's called another little horn. And so, this is an eleventh horn. Now, we're told in verse 8 that this eleventh horn plucks up three of the existing ten horns. Now, three is used symbolically here for a portion of the ten. Julius Caesar and then Augustus after him reduced the authority of the Republican Senate and of some of the provincial kings. And they transferred the real power to themselves. Indeed, uh, Julius Caesar would proclaim himself as a dictator. Now, the word Caesar until then was just a family name. But the rulers following Julius Caesar would adopt the term Caesar to mean supreme emperor. Augustus Caesar, Julius's successor, was the first ruler in the Roman Empire to actually take the title of emperor. So here we have, in a wonderful way, Daniel foretelling here the coming of the Roman Empire, replacing the Roman Republic under the authority of the Senate. Now, why is Daniel foretelling these historical events? It is because it is also applicable to Israel's future and to God's whole plan of redemption. Because in 63 BC, the Roman Empire would conquer the land of Israel and bring it under her control. Now, this is very important in the providence of God because God has planned before the world was created that in a certain point in history his son would come into the world and he had planned that this would happen when the Roman Empire held sway and so it's an important date that 63 BC Israel falls 
to Rome. In 49 BC, Julius Caesar would be declared with the formal title of dictator of the empire. And um, then, uh, in 27 BC, Augustus was declared to be the emperor. So the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is in the context of the establishment of the enormous or powerful Roman Empire. When absolute power would be consolidated into the person of a single individual. So, on the one hand, we have the king of kings coming into the world, being born as a man, and at the same time, there is a single individual claiming to have authority over the whole known world. Now, this is all so relevant to us as Christians, because we have a reference to the first official emperor of Rome in Luke chapter 2. We read in Luke 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So the saviour of the world came into the world at a time in history when a particularly ferocious, man-centred and anti-God world empire came into being. And this is what Daniel is foretelling. Now God is sovereign over all human history. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the great focal point of all human history. And let us forget all that talk about the common era. Let us carry on using the term BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Because the coming of Christ is the most important point in all human history. And so that is why Daniel is receiving this prophecy of the four beasts. It sets forth the great political convulsions which are going to shape the world in the centuries immediately starting with Daniel's time and leading up to Christ's coming. And these convulsions will particularly affect Israel. We are learning here that all rulers and governments and empires only hold office and hold sway if the Trinitarian God permits them. The Lord can raise up rulers to bless a people or he can raise them up to bring judgment upon a people. God is sovereign over the affairs of nations in Daniel's time and in our time. 
Daniel declared back in chapter 2 here, and verse 19. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. We further read of Daniel's vision in this verse 8. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. In God's providence, this little horn is raised up amongst the ten. It represents the terrifying power of the Roman emperors as opposed to the governors who were answerable to the senate before the Roman Empire actually came into being. Uh, And notice the reference here to eyes like the eyes of man. This is to emphasise that this horn represents not a nation, but individual human rulers. You see, the emperors invested all power, no longer in the Senate, but in one person. The term, the eyes of man, also stresses that this eleventh horn will indeed be merely a man. Why is it necessary to emphasise this? Because this mere man will speak great, arrogant words as if he were a god. And he will demand to be worshipped as a god. And many Christians lost their lives because they refused to worship the emperor of Rome as a god. Today, rulers and governments do not claim to be divine but they demand the equivalent of worship. You dare to disagree today with the LGBT agenda and you are cast out as a heretic and someone who must be crushed. No, rulers and governments do not claim to be divine But political correctness is demanding authority, just like the Roman emperors used to do. And there can be no disagreement. And actually, um, if we look at North Korea, um, the ruling Kim's dynasty there, uh, there is still emperor worship. Uh, They do claim to be divine, so there is nothing new under the sun. But as nations and governments today ignore the Christian faith, persecute Christian people, defy God's commandments, and promote false religions, 
They are, as we read here in verse 8, a mouth speaking great things. Arrogant, blasphemous words against God. They are acting just as Rome of old once did. The whole PC, liberal, anti-Christian establishment which prevails in Britain today is another Rome. It's a wicked, ferocious, anti-Christian movement. We can take heart, however, because no matter what the earthly power of any anti-Christian government, Christ the King is infinitely more powerful, ruling over this earth from his throne in heaven. We read of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 19 and verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Daniel's vision is teaching us today that the affairs of nations are in the hands of God. He is also teaching us that no Christ-rejecting government can ever ultimately prosper. And so we urge the British government today to take note. Carry on rejecting biblical truth and this nation will be brought crashing down. Amen.